0: worst job
1: yeah the worst job what would that be Um, the sound guy that goes on the stage
0: to check the microphone Mm -hmm. on the live shows yeah check just say say, check yeah check the worst is with like death metal shows and stuff and they go check 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 (laughs) and I've heard people who do like check (laughs) Mosovakia the check is in the mail (laughs) it's stupid it is Ramin. Yes. Good morning.
1: Oh, good morning to you. Uh,
0: You're back on my podcast. Yeah. That's great. Thanks for having me. I'm very thankful for that. Um, This is the first podcast I've done in the morning and without beer. So
1: I liked both of those.
0: Yes, but I think it's appropriate now. We do one in the morning. We've Mm -hmm. done one at night. We've had beer before. Yes, we did. This time we have coffee. We had so much beer last time. We did. And we recorded for like seven hours. Yeah. This is going to be a little bit more succinct, I believe. Um, you are in town this weekend. Yes. To come see Karada's second and third show. Yes. One in Seattle, one in Portland. Yeah, tomor- tonight and tomorrow night. We leave for Seattle in a couple hours. We're going to spend the night up there after, uh, after that show. And then tomorrow it's Karada, Thrones, and Yab at the Star yeah. Theater. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, one especially it'll be fun. I'm so glad that you could come join us for this. Yeah, thank you. Like, it's
1: been it's been a long time. We yeah, were, we were talking about making this happen um, around two years ago when you played right. many, the very first demos of Corolla. Yeah, and I told you I can't really miss. I mean, I could. I wish I could call, come for the first show too, but right, being living in, <clears throat> in Nebraska, it's not the most convenient way to. Coming no. to San Francisco,
0: going back, coming to Portland. Yeah, and they're a week so. apart, so that would be. Yeah, so I difficult. have to choose my. Well, this those. way, you get to see two shows. Exactly. And hopefully, we play a little bit better each time. So hopefully, we'll the shows will be better.
1: It's gonna be great. Yeah. yeah. So really looking uh, forward to see Corrado, and also I'm really stoked to see uh, AJ for the first time. Yeah, you've never met AJ. No, I've never met AJ. So, and I met. ASAP, not met, saw ASOP last night very yep. briefly. So, yeah, really forward to,
0: yeah. We'll have a nice road trip up to Seattle today. Yeah. That'll be fun. Talking to him and Don. And I've you, asked them not to speak to you. So, it's okay. going to be a very quiet car ride. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Obama called me yesterday and was like, yeah, I'd rather that AJ didn't talk to, to Ramin. So. I, I told you there's a reason he's not president now. It's because he's saying stuff like that. Yeah, he's mean. <clears throat> especially especially to immigrants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's the one. He's the president that's mean to immigrants, for sure. <laughs> so, last time I had you on the podcast, um, after that, you got featured in Decibel Magazine. Yes. So, now you're here again. What's going to happen next? Are you going to win a Grammy for this, maybe?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that last podcast was quite um, interesting. Like that was the very first Sunday I was actually on podcast, mm-hmm. and um, I think, it, I mean, it was very kind of your audience I can say that really liked that podcast, Um it just happened that um, Albert from Decibel Magazine mm-hmm. he listened to like bits and pieces of the podcast too, yeah. and he asked me to do the the reader of the month right. um, kind of interview. With them, which happened in fact um, on the day of my birthday, um, oh he, yeah. yeah, he sent that okay. email to me. So it was very interesting. It's, it's a, it was a it was something I could never like imagine. As I told him, like back in the day, right? Like you know, one day I will come to U.S. I can have a magazine, especially like a very um, respectable, right, nice magazine like des- like Decibel and then be a part of or be featured on it too. So that was
0: mainly thanks to your podcast and um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was awesome. Audience. I was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I was stoked that Albert was listening to the podcast. Yeah. He did admit to me that he just kind of listened to bits and pieces, but still, um, I don't take offense to that. In the beginning I was <laughs> He's busy. So yeah, makes
1: it makes
0: sense. And it was a very long podcast. It was. Yeah. Yeah. In the beginning people were telling me, you know, like, oh, I listened to half that podcast. And it it would, you know, it would kind of affect me. I'd be like, uh, like only half? Like, what the (laughs) hell? And I realized like, that's, you know, it's a time commitment for people. And I can't take that personally. And like the last episode I did with Tyson, it was four hours long. I was, I figured we'd do like an hour. It was four hours. I was like, whatever. It's fun. People can listen to 20 minutes and turn it off. It's, it's fine.
1: No, that's what I'm actually doing lately. Like, Mm -hmm. because time is just more constrained. I can, Mm -hmm. excuse me. Can really spend uh, like or allocate like three, four hours just sitting down or just listening to that podcast. So I mainly choose my biking time um, Mm -hmm. from home to work or from work to home. Right. Rather than listening to music, lately I'm just focusing more on podcasting. It really helps me to just focus better on a podcast as I'm biking. Like I bike for like 12 miles, 30 miles every day. Right. So that's a good opportunity. But I can't really finish the whole podcast, so I just, like, pause, and
0: then mm-hmm. the, the day after, I just continue from where I stop. That's what I do, too. Yeah. And some people do that. I've had people tell me they do that with mine, and some people, they listen to a little bit, and sometimes you kind of get a vibe, and people are like, well, like, I really like this one because it focuses more on stuff I like, but this one, maybe not so much because it's, they're focusing on styles or the the guest isn't necessarily like the musical style that they like. Yeah. So, which is great. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. So, so what
1: are we going to do today?
0: Well, this is going to be, uh, I think this is the second time I've done this now, but, uh, we're going to focus on one album. Okay. This is a very special album for me and for you. This is Catatonia's brave murder day. Oh yes. Yeah. One of, uh, one of my favorite records. This was kind of a game changer when it came out. Um I'm not gonna talk too much about it because I want Ramin to start doing that. But um I will say that when Brave Murder Day came out, I was a huge catatonia fan, and this really threw me for a curveball. Is that the expression? Threw me for a curveball? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> I, I I've <laughs> I heard the curveball <laughs> before, but I I don't know it very well to use it myself. So
0: threw me a curveball. I don't know.
1: Threw me a curveball, I think, is
0: a is the right way, huh? I don't know. It's It's too early. Um, I don't know how to podcast without an IPA. So anyway, it it threw me for a loop. And it really redefined a lot of metal after it, I believe. And uh, hugely influenced Agaloc, hugely, in more ways than our apparent. Um, So yeah, this was nothing. I mean, I'd never heard anything like it when it came out and it was something that hit me instantaneously it wasn't one of those where it was so in, out of the left field where it took me a while to grasp like this hit me like from the first riff
1: mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> um, and I know for a fact that it influenced uh, Don's playing a lot um, yeah. not only in Agaloc but just in everything. in everything so let's listen shall we? shall we? I guess I have to say we shall <laughs> we shall Shall we? We shall Its first track is called Brave, Brave. Yes yeah. This is possibly my favorite It is absolutely my favorite So I think the most notable thing about this record Is The way the guitars are played mm-hmm. It's so much different than what they did before On Dancer of December Souls and records like that these like a lot of uh, arpeggiated, delayed, reverbed out guitars. They had definitely had heavy riffs, but on Brave Murder Day, they're really planning on certain notes and just like droning almost. And it's just like little shifts. It's mm-hmm. very minimal. It is in a way. I
1: like I know a little bit of of the story behind this album. I, uh, but I thought maybe it will be interesting to talk about now. Is one of them is as you mentioned the whole uh, approach that they actually had before this album was right. with the Dance of December. So it was actually mm-hmm. to make a very melodic doom metal album, which I mean in, it's one of my absolute favorite doom albums. But with Brave Murder Day, I like if I now reflect back on the whole discography of Katatonia. Um, if I had to choose one classic album, yeah. that would be Brave Murder Day. Oh, me too. And the thing is, like, they really changed their approach from Dance of December so, to Brave Murder Day. Like, in fact, uh, I don't know if you knew that, like, but Catatonia actually disbanded in 1994.
0: Yeah. yeah. Briefly, right? Very briefly, for, yeah. yeah.
1: So it's like in autumn, 1994, they disband. Mm-hmm. I mean, that came after all the drama that they had with no fashion records. And, right. They were very disappointed on how the whole contract uh, with their label went, so they decided to basically give it a little bit of a break, mm-hmm. and they also wanted to pursue other areas. So Jonas basically, with Frederick Norman, they created October f- Tide. October Tide, yeah. At that point, and uh, Andreas, Andreas, he started the Diabolical Masquerade yeah. which was his amazing incredible, I love that project. yeah a yeah. one-car blackmail project but then it was in winter 1996 that uh, Andreas was working um, on some in order to basically re-emerge catatonia and mm-hmm. then he contact Jonas and then he's he asked like whether he is interested to come back and be a part of again okay the new, the re-emergence of cata gotcha. yeah and but interestingly that, that uh, at that point what Andreas had in mind was very different than this Brave Murder Day that we are hearing right in fact it was like more of a gothic a very dark very okay. straightforward like a gothic album
0: maybe kind of like Rain Room on this record
1: yeah and uh, what he he brings it up this way to Jonas that it's gonna be more uh, sounding more similar to us, uh, a Scarlet Heavens from Dance on December so okay yeah that it's gonna be more in that realm and then um, he uh, Jonas just shows complete disappointment in that idea, and he's like, okay, "No, yeah. I'm not interested in like those like, you know, a, a, a standard like baritone vocals that in the gothic metal, especially they would do." And right. also, he was he just really was not into the gothic theme anymore. Right. So Andreas just totally scratched that idea and tried to come up with a new. Uh, new sound, mm-hmm. and that brings us to this album that he basically like created this new uh, subgenre of having very like having this huge like wall of like rhythm guitar, very distorted yes, rhythm guitar uh-huh. as like the backbone, right? And there is this monotonous very a straightforward drum four mm-hmm. by four like drum beat in the background which yeah. i absolutely love to playing yeah. it myself too it's like, yeah it, it's very simple but it has so much energy in mm-hmm. it. it it feels just incredible to playing it and uh, then there are like some signature riffs like the, the lead uh, guitar riffs here and there right but uh yeah it's a it's like the amalgam of shoegaze which they were very influenced by at that point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I read this part about, uh, an, uh, from an interview with Andreas, that he was really influenced by the slow dive at that point, and like, a Swedish yeah. band called Kent.
0: Kent, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh.
1: So, like, a mix of that shoegaze with that um, death metal and doom metal background that they inherited from Dance on December. So mm-hmm. they just put them together and became this... Incredible masterpiece
0: that is Brave Matter Day, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm just checking out the encyclopedia Metallum right now on this record. I don't think I've ever looked at it actually. One so thing
1: it, that was very interesting uh, about this record, I it actually, I don't know which version you are playing now. Well, I'm just playing it off of Spotify. Uh-huh, so that's actually, uh, I believe it's the mastered one, but when the album came right. out in 1996, it actually went to the pressing plant, unmastered. Right, it was unmastered, yeah. Yeah, which was... they say, like, to this day, that they never realized why... Like, why it happened that way? Why it happened that way, yeah. Yeah. Or who made that mistake.
0: And this one that I'm playing must be like expanded or something because it has three tracks at the end uh-huh nowhere at last and inside the fall so yeah that's
1: uh, i think uh, the version in 2006 that Peacewell uh released that was the master and the
0: expanded one right so is that the sounds of decay re- ep at the end uh-huh is that what that is yeah okay which is a great ep it is that's my first california t-shirt Oh yeah, I love that t-shirt with Whoa. the the still from Begotten uh-huh. on the cover. That's awesome. So Brave Murder Day was released in 96. Yes. Uh, when it was released, I was writing. I was a journalist. I had a long music journalist career. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember who I was writing for in 96. I think it must have been Word of Mouth with Jeff Wagner and Professor Black. Uh-huh. And I got a promo of this. Um, I think this was originally released on Avant garde music in Europe. Yes, but I believe it was Relapse in the states. Is that or Century Media? I don't know
1: about that part.
0: I just I'm not know sure that
1: they were with Avant Guard from 1995, I believe, or six. As as they were preparing to release this album, they switched yeah. to Avant
0: Guard. Okay, it says here. That the, uh, there's a version that came out on Century Black, so that would be Century Media. Um, so I got a promo from Century Media. This a little slipcase, uh-huh. and actually the first one I received in the mail was cracked in half. Oh no! And with promos, you typically get them before the release date. Yes. So you can have time to write about them in your yes. magazines, etc. And it was cracked in half, and I was so looking forward to this record, and I got it, and I was like, oh my god! So I can't like, remember. Did you
1: know them? Before? Ray yeah, Burner yeah, Day. yeah. Um, yeah I was a in fan. December,
0: so. I can't remember which, what I heard first. I, I'm, it must have been Dance of December Souls. I don't think it was one of the EPs. The Four Feet Suco. Yeah. I don't think it was anything like that. I think it was... So 96. I think I knew them from right when I graduated high school, like 93, 94, something like that. I see. Um, so I was very much looking forward to it because I love Dance of December Souls. It was so different than anything I knew at the time. Yeah. And uh, so I was very very looking forward to this. It came cracked in half. I had to call up Century Media. Like, I got it, but it's cracked in half. They sent me a new one. It took, like, another week or something, you know? And I got it, and I... Man, I want to say, by the time I got it, yeah, I was living here with Don and his parents, I'm almost positive that I was here and Don and I listened to it and we're just like, just so different and so unique, especially when you're expecting more of just Dance of December Souls type of Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, and many, many years ago. So I'd say mid nineties to late nineties, I was a huge Opeth fan. I love those first records. Yeah now I, I have a hard time listening to him now just because it's so it's just overplayed in my head um, when I heard that this was Michael Ackerfeld on vocals I was shocked because in my opinion he sounds ten times better on this record than he ever did in Opeth <laughs> like his growls on this are perfect oh, like, I have something to say perfect. about his perfect. Okay, no, growls it. Yep.
1: well I don't know actually if Uh, that's kind of a common knowledge or not that this is not Jonas on a vocal on this album or not because I actually didn't know for the first few years when I discovered this album Uh, I
0: don't think it was a secret I just don't think anybody really looked into it you don't just
1: expect suddenly that there is such a different uh, person that is not even in the band right? Yeah, does the vocal but there's a story behind that from what I researched in the past that so when they entered the studio at Unisound, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, so Dan Swan. is Swano. going
0: to... Dance, Dan Swanja, is how Dan you pronounce Fania. it. Dan Swanja.
1: He was going to um, co-produce and engineer this album. So when they entered the studio, they have mm-hmm. just a few ideas. They don't have the songs as structured and written completely. So they actually... Oh, really? Yeah, they're in studio. They just stay awake until like early in the morning yeah finish a song and then a couple hours later don swan come to the studio mm-hmm. and is like do you have any song ready and they start to just recording it after a few hours of working on it and finishing it so they start to l- recording two songs in from what i have read don swan actually really hated the sound <laughs> of Brave Murder Day he was like this is
0: the songs or just the way it was recorded
1: pretty much everything Everything, to the point that after a couple songs it actually led into a brawl between Don Suano and the band and he just he despises the sound so much that he basically tells them that I don't want to have my name as a co-producer so I will just do the engineering and the band decides to produce the album themselves but it's just this idea that he had that Dance of, De- Dance of December Soul was a masterpiece. You guys mm. have to make a second version of that sound or that yeah. album.
0: I know how that is, yeah. Yeah,
1: but uh, they, I think luckily, or fortunately for all of us after that, they, yeah. Jonas and Andreas, they really insist on right. the sound that they achieved with Brave Murder Day. So they recorded, but after the whole recording session, Pretty much 90% of the recording session is done. It's now time to record the vocals, and okay. now that's the interesting time that Jonas actually loses his voice, and oh weird! He he tries, and after the first song, it just keeps getting worse and worse oh, and worse no. to the point that it just becomes such a just a, it, it just become impossible for him to sing. Right. So, like just like many other things that is so unusual and so unique about this album. Uh-huh. This incident happens. So, what they do is they contact Michael O'Careful. And at that point, Opeth wasn't actually really a big name. No. Or I, I'm, I'm not actually sure if Opeth actually was really, um, out there because uh, orchid uh, was in released in 1995
0: or? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. I could look it up, but I remember, I remember knowing Opeth when this came out for sure. Yeah.
1: No. Uh, I believe they knew Mike Ackerfeld from a few shows that he actually played with Catatonia, because again, uh, this album is not the only contribution that Ackerfeld uh, had with this band. They, in 1993 or 4, he actually stepped in and played as a second guitarist for Catatonia for a couple okay. shows. So he, they knew him in advance, but... Yeah, the record was 95. 95, yes. Morning yes. Rise was 96. Yes. So around this time actually they they knew him so they call him he gets surprised by the whole story of jonas not being able to sing so he right. just get a train the day after and just come to the studio um, the thing is uh, when i read from what andreas shared about that whole recording session mm-hmm. was the fact that if you would go into the room and would hear him uh singing or having the growls without any music yeah at the loudest you would just hear him just whispering and having a very just a loud whisper yeah but when you would put his vocal on the music it would just sound like a monster right and just this incredible growl which I absolutely love not just with this album but with the early Opeth album yeah. and especially with the bloodbath
0: uh, albums yeah. that yeah, I mean he—he's obviously really good. There's just I think it's the juxtaposition with the vocals and this music, yeah. to me is is perfect. And I love Jonas. Like don't get me wrong, like, he's one of my favorite me favorite too. vocalists. Um, but uh, the vocals on this are just stunning to me. It is. Yeah, They're he so was vicious.
1: Yeah, the lyrics are. I mean, except from one song, that day. This mm-hmm. song actually. Yeah. Yeah, except from this song that Jonas uh, sang on it at the very, very end of the recording session, which is mainly just clean vocal. And I mean, right. I get chills every time I hear this song Yeah, just for how beautiful it is and how actually either by accident or intentionally this song actually became the centerpiece of the new sound of Catatonia. Right, yeah. Because this really, the next few Catatonia albums actually emerge yeah,
0: this song when Discouraged Ones came out okay so actually I have a correction to make because I did not get this when I was living with Don because I got Discouraged Ones when I was living with Don okay I believe or we shared that a lot together we listened to that record constantly but when that came out I, I was like okay so this reminds me of Day you know yeah. this is yeah, that was a precursor to Discouraged Ones and on Discouraged Ones Jonas is he's a pretty shaky vocalist you know there's Mm -hmm. there's moments there that are really awkward and really weak but it serves the music so well that's such a i don't call it weak
1: i call it it's a very vulnerable that's a
0: probably a better word but but the music is vulnerable too like they stepped way outside of their box absolutely and you can tell that they're not they're not masters of that genre they're just like trying to figure out what they want to do and it really works well because it's just The whole thing is so vulnerable. Yeah. I think
1: one thing that kind of um, makes me sad to just see... Andreas never got the credit for how much he contributed into extreme metal world. Right. Like, this guy has served death metal with bloodbath Mm -hmm. in a way that not many bands have done. Like, it is true that they wanted to basically animate and trying to uh, simulating the sound of Entomb, Dismember, those early Swedish right. mm-hmm. death metal bands but it's not just a mimic it's a it's an evolution I would mm-hmm. say from that HM2 sound when it comes to black metal like what he did with the Diabolical Masquerade and especially um, his album I, won't, I would say it's Nightwork this, uh, yeah, the second album I think it's called Nightwork.
0: I think wasn't Death Design the second one? Um,
1: I'm not sure. I believe it's called Nightwork, which has this very beautiful keyboard uh, intro. And um, so yeah, with with black metal he did that, and beyond everything with with doom and with. How can I say? It? Like a more of a, a, a melodic, a more beautiful music. He did what he did with Catatonia is quite remarkable. Not uh, Anathema at that point really wanted to um, get a new sound as well. My Dying Bride really tried to get a new sound. Paradise right. Lost. Yeah, everybody's changing. But what Catatonia did is. I don't know. At least, in my opinion, is way more unique yes. than any of the other bands could achieve at that point. But no one really gave him cr- much credit for what no. he really did and what he really achieved. I mean, you said Agalok actually yeah. really inspired uh, by huge
0: Catatonia. If you take if you take Brave Murder Day in one hand and a Fields of the Nephilim record in the other hand, and you just smush them together and rub them together, you get Pale Folklore. Pale Folklore, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, <clears throat> but other than that, I uh, I, a- I, absolutely admire this album. But it's, it's one thing very interesting about this album, for me personally, which mm-hmm. has a very personal story, is I actually got introduced to Catatonia not by a song from Catatonia, but a cover song. Interesting. So, yeah, I, so, and that cover song was one of the songs from Bregman the Dave. So, okay. one of my very favorite, and also secret favorite mm-hmm. um, bands um, and doom bands, is called Forest of Shadows. Mm-hmm. It's a Swedish one-man doom band and that I got to know. I was very fortunate to get to know him and get to know this band from uh, when I was 16 years old, 17 years old. And Nicholas, the guy behind Forest of Shadows, uh, he released a demo in 1999, it's called Promotion City, and it has two songs, The Silent Cry, and the second song is the cover song of this song. The Rain Room? Room? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard this song, and I absolutely loved it, and it was very different than The Silent Cry, the first song of the demo, and I got got a copy of uh, this... Demo, I believe, in two thousand three or two thousand four. Okay. So, I got this, and I just absolutely loved this sound. But it was very different than the Silent Cry and anything else from Fires of Shadows that I heard. Right. But I just uh, happened to get to know Catatonia from that cover song. Okay. And then I went ahead and check out Catatonia, Brave Murder Day, trying to find the original song, and just it opened a whole new world to me. Right yeah so it was mainly thanks to farts of shadows that's awesome that i found out about catatonia in fact farts of shadows um which is as i said like one of my very very top favorite bands um didn't release any record for almost 10 years uh, oh, wow. until just yesterday yesterday uh, yesterday weird yeah they he released uh the new farts of shadows album among the dormant watchers which I think yesterday on my way here to Portland, mm-hmm. I listened to that album like five, six times oh, ago. Wow. And yeah, so thanks to that guy and thanks to the cover of this song that he played. Yeah. Um, Catatonia, my
0: absolute favorite band, yeah. just entered my world. And... That's great. Yeah. So um, I have a story about Catatonia. I can't remember what year it was, but Moonspell and Catatonia toured through portland and Uh agaloc opened and i want to say that was um ashes against the grain era i think that's what i remember from what you told me yeah and uh that was a huge honor for us um to open for catatonia and none of us had ever seen catatonia um Loved the first two Moonspell records, never really followed them too much after that, but still, it was like... Yeah, same. I mean, just even the fact that Catatonia and Moonspell were playing in Portland was shocking to us. Yeah. And then, I can't remember how we got on the show, honestly. I'm sure it was through the end or something. Uh-huh. But we were invited to to play the show. We were pretty green at that point, as far as a live band. It was before Aesop was in the band. Yeah. Um. But... Ashes was just like we made a lot of waves with the mantle, but Ashes was just blowing up. But we didn't we hadn't played live that much. We didn't really see the reception. So we show up to the venue. It's this crappy little venue. It's not even in Portland anymore. And What was the name of the venue? Uh It's escaping me. It it was always a venue and then it turned into like a porn theater and then it was a venue again <laughs> yeah. and it was a porn theater again. The Paris Theater. That's where it was. So we load in. It's pouring rain. We have to park like two blocks away. We're loading in. We're hauling our cabs and our heads and all this shit, like through the pouring rain. Get in there. We have this little green room area to ourselves, but the green room area is above the stage. And so we can look out from the green room over the stage and into the audience. Yeah. And people started filing in, filing in, filing in. And we're sitting there just we're pretty nervous because this is like pretty big for us and i just peek my head like over the stage and look into the audience and somebody spots me and then like half the crowd is looking up at us and then they start cheering and clapping for us and we're just like john and don and i are just like looking and we're like oh my god like what is going on like these people know us and we played maybe 30 minutes or so Uh uh-huh And we had one of the most insane reactions we've ever had. And it was one of the first times we'd ever gone on stage where people were like really, really, really into it. Wow. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, oh, shit, like this is bigger than we knew it was. Yeah. Um, But it, it was also kind of unique because I was center stage. And there's a lot of times in the early days where I would be center stage because John's chords for a lot of his pedals weren't long enough. And so he would be stage left. I would be in the middle and Don would be stage right. I see. Um, and that also happened because it's a... Uh, and who look, was the drummer? It was Chris Green at the time. Chris Green. Um, and it's a little known fact, when Agalock first started, John didn't want to sing, and he wanted me to do it. Because I used to be a vocalist back in my high school band, yeah. and so the initial idea for Agalock was for me to do the vocals. right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was supposed to be center stage, I was supposed to be the front man, essentially. Front man. Um, but number one, I didn't do that, and number two, John has a way better growl than I, I do. Mine's kind of like more like a Martin Vendrin type of thing, which just wouldn't work. Um, yeah. So obviously, never happened. But anyway, that show was amazing, and uh, Catatonia killed it. Moonspell were great, and after the show, we went on to Catatonia's bus, and they had, they knew of us, kind of, sort of, you know. And I gave Blackheim Anders uh-huh. a, a copy of Ashes because I brought a CD and I handed it to him and I was like, here's our new record. And he, he was really, really nice. He was excited to get it. And he looked at the cover and he's like, I just met a guy a couple of days ago that has this tattooed on his arm. Wow. And it turned out it was Chris Bruni from Profound Lore. Because Profound- wow. he, he has the Ashes cover tattooed yeah. on his arm. And uh, so, yeah, so we talked That's a little bit and then we left him alone. It was It was a great night. Yeah. Great night all all the way around.
1: No, I I haven't been fortunate to catch... I've seen Catatonia live only once, but I haven't been very fortunate to catch any of the songs from this album live. I haven't either. They used to play Brave. Yeah. And then they stopped playing it because Jonas wasn't very interested in doing the growls anymore. Right. But little known fact for those who haven't followed Catatonia actually after these early or mid albums is in 2014 Catonia released is one of my favorite favorite dvds uh, yeah. that they recorded in london and it's a crushing dvds one of my absolute favorites and then jonas actually and they the band actually played brave on that dvd yeah. and he does the growls after many years of not doing it right so they played brave and uh with day they only played it for the very first time again around the same time 2014 or 15 Okay. when they did that acoustic tour of, and they played in London again mm-hmm. which they released a, on a, a DVD for that show called Sanctitude and they played day in an acoustic nice. version of it which is again one of the most beautiful performances that yeah. I've seen but um yeah, like if I ever get, if if they ever decide to, I don't know, play this album in the entirety mm. anywhere in this world, I'm gonna make that trip. Yeah. Well, they're on hiatus now, right?
0: They're like they are. Yeah. They yeah. they
1: they really wanted to focus on Bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really wanted to get, you know, because fact is, like Bloodbath is uh, is a much harder. Uh, brand now totally Dan Catalonia even mm-hmm. though it has a shorter history yeah but um yeah there there's a huge demand for bloodbath yeah. to tour the states to tour right. like they're now actually on a tour with Demo Borgir and um a, a bunch of like uh, other bands like, I forgot like uh, who is the rest of the band on the list but um uh, they wanted to focus on bloodbath they released their new album a couple months ago correct right. But also Jonas actually had a new child. So he okay. he really needed to take a little break to yeah. focus on the family. And so that actually kind of like hand in hand get right. get the band to the situation that they really needed to take a hiatus. And I think it, it was needed. Because the yeah. last album, The Fall of Hearts, I, I liked it. I, I love the entire discography of Calatonia uh, unlike many of my friends who mainly are into like the earliest stuff right. or just the mid mid period uh, yeah. but I love absolutely the entire discography and I liked the fall of Hearts, but it, it was obvious that there's something missing maybe that energy that passion is yeah. a little gone so yeah. I hope that that can help to revitalize the, the energy in the band well if I can
0: be critical of the band for a moment Um, I I, I, I will allow you okay (laughs) I appreciate that (laughs) Uh, I love Catatonia obviously but I felt like any band needs to change and I felt like they were really good at that Dance of December Souls to Brave Murder Day to Discouraged Ones they were constantly changing After Brave Murder Day, I feel like those changes became less and less radical. Uh Uh-huh. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I feel like they were slight changes, little like they were polishing things, just kind of tightening things over the years. By the time they hit Viva Emptiness, Mm -hmm. they had like found this formula. And I don't mean that in a bad way, it was like they found their new voice. Like it's not as harsh as Brave Murder Day. They're not really they're not black metal anymore. they're definitely not death metal. they're just kind of like rock like depressive rock and they really nailed it on Viva emptiness and then I feel like after that they just didn't they were doing the same thing over and over and over again. So those later records for me it was harder to get into because I was like well I just I've already had Viva emptiness. And mm-hmm. I already have. What's the the red one? Um, the Great Cold Distance? Yes, which I love. Yeah. It's a fantastic record. That's I
1: think by far like their favorite, uh, their most re- received album. Of, the most popular. The their most popular yeah. album of California under Scott
0: Yeah, and so it was just it was harder for me to get into because it, I felt like it wasn't offering me anything new, new that the other records didn't, and so I was having a hard time getting into the later one, so I'm, I'm hoping that with this hiatus mm-hmm. it'll just give him some space to maybe um kind of like what they did with brave murder day come back with something fresh well i'm hoping that
1: Jonas actually decide to do some growl again like yeah. that's something that people think when a vocal just decide or when a guy who sings on the album decide to stop doing yeah it's a it's an absolute thing but like Paradise Lost was uh, like the it's the best example that I can think of. Nick Holmes decided well, to not do any growls for a few for many albums in yeah. fact. And then as he joined Bloodbath as uh, for the, as a new vocal, as a new frontman mm-hmm. of the Bloodbath, he decided to do more growl and now the past two albums of P- Paradise Lost, he does growls on the album alongside of doing the right. clean vocal but- which is I, I love his
0: vocal. Sorry. My Dying Bride did the same thing. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is because of the trends, too. You know, like, when you're when you're a band like Paradise Lost or My Dying Bride, you know, you forge these paths mm-hmm. with these growl vocals. As the times change, people get more into melody in their death metal. They get more into uh, more melodic information. They get into the clean singing. People yeah. start throwing aside the clean singing. Now, 2018, it's... A death metal renaissance and i feel like a lot of those bands are like oh actually like i can growl it's like it's more acceptable again so if i see people being kind of critical of that like the intentions oh so you're just like riding the waves of like what's popular or what's cool Mm -hmm. um but of course nobody can say what people's intentions are you know like why they do things yeah this riff by the way just kills me this is I mean, it's just perfect.
1: There's one thing... Oh. Yeah, there's one thing I I wanted to add into your previous comment about the evolution of their sound, how Mm -hmm. much they change, or the time that they hit the... more of a constant period of repeating themselves as Mm -hmm. that's something appropriate to say. Um, Well, there is one thing that I at least tried to put myself in their shoe mm-hmm. and um, it's a very big shoe for me to put myself in
0: <laughs> the Catatonia shoe <laughs> yeah
1: but uh, the thing is uh, they were the revolutionary band in early 90s with yeah. Dance of December Souls and this album "Brave Murder Day mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is they never got the attention that they deserved they never became that big True. I mean, they were known yeah. to the people who were really into more um, extreme underground uh, Groundbreaking and stuff so, But they really never got that uh, The reception that They wanted to And they mm-hmm. deserved it And if you There's a documentary about them Which came out with their uh, One of their DVDs in 2012 or 13 uh, With that live show in London That they mentioned Like those eras Like they had just so much failure They had failure with Contracts that they had with the with the record labels, Mm -hmm. they had failure with the tours that they had in U.S. They had in Europe, they had failure with um, the band members, uh, that they couldn't really have a consistent lineup. So there was so much failure behind uh, that, and meanwhile, all we actually know is about uh, or what we know the most is all these amazing albums that they did so at one right. point around the vivo emptiness or maybe by the by the great cold distance mm-hmm. they found the sound and they have now a lot of a, a good backbone and a good history that they found a the sound that is now getting well received they mm-hmm. can come and tour us they have a good contract they have a good label so and you know you want to maintain that you hit their professional musician they want to maintain yeah the success so that kind of like you know get the edges and make them I I don't know if that's a right um, a, expression to say just made them less uh, risk accepting musicians right. mm-hmm. and just thriving and evolving on the sound that they could achieve I mean that's the constant
0: struggle as a musician is well, it's not a constant struggle, it depends on what, like, where you are with your band, but it's that maintaining that income or that commercialism slash artistic freedom slash what you want to do, you know, it's... By the way, can I say something? Yeah.
1: This is not a black metal album, but no. this is one of the most memorable black metal riffs yeah. for it, me personally. Yeah, this does
0: sound very black metal. Yes, please... Yeah. Please go on. Well, it's just, it's just that balance is difficult. Um, if you're a demo band or you're not a touring band and you don't have a record contract and you don't have income, Mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want. But once you get into position where you have a crew that depends on you to make money, you have a family that depends on you to make money, your art depends on making money. Those are the weird choices that sometimes you have to make. Um, i can't blame a band for being like hey we found something that works let's stick to it but the my creative mind rejects it yeah and that so that's hard i think something that happened
1: to you Mm -hmm. don and aesop with the Mm corada i I hope something similar happened to some of my favorite other musicians just like the catatonia guys yeah that you know at one point they recite to just put aside, because they're incredible musicians, they're incredible minds, and mm. their creativity is, I mean, what their output is edgeless. What they achieve with Caratonia is edgeless, in my opinion, right. but they hope that at one point they just put it aside. Yeah. Rather than keep trying to fixing it or finding a new sound into it, and just starting fresh. Yeah. Because that's one thing that I can see with Corotta, yeah. For you and Don and ASO, it's not only the the sound that has evolved, mm-hmm. a new sound that has emerged, but in the same time in your it's obvious in your personality, in your attitude now there's yeah. so much refreshness, so much like new yeah. energy in you. Yeah. So it's true. That's something that I think is at some point after you have 20, 25 years, 30 years of history. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite essential if you really are trying to, again, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So that's what I'm hoping. I I, I hope Catatonia, Catatonia has achieved so much that I, I think I wouldn't be sad if they split up, but I would no. be very sad if they decide to not make music anymore. So I hope they do, but right. under a different moniker.
0: Don and I talk about this all the time. Um, as far as bands splitting up or musicians and like what they do after bands split up, because obviously it's, you know, it's a close subject to our heart in the last yeah. few years. Um, and we both agree that, at least for us, it's just not an option to stop. You know, even if Karate, like if AJ punched me on stage tonight and, you know, Aesop pants me in the middle of seasons, like, even if karate broke up tomorrow, there's no way I would just stop making music. You know, it's just not an option. I would imagine for someone like Blackheim, it'd be the same, you know, like there's no reason to stop. Even if Catatonia breaks up, you do something different. Absolutely. It's a huge risk, you know, like creating karate in the wake of Agaloc, it's a huge risk. But what's the other option? You just yeah. don't do anything? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So Don and I are always suspect when people are like, Nope, I'm done. Not making music anymore. So I don't I don't see those guys doing that. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm really looking forward to what comes after the hiatus, whether yeah. it's with Catatonia or any other project. Yeah. Cause again, like Black and Jonas, they're two of my favorite musicians. They oh, have yeah. contributed so much that they have Created a sound that has changed my life. Yeah. Um, especially with Catatonia so and especially with this album. Yes. Like this album. I don't know. It, it never, it never loses any of its refreshness. Every yeah. Time, no, it's Every true. time that you listen yeah. to it, so it's a, it's one of those ageless masterpieces that I, I'm just very fortunate that I could discover much earlier in my life, and yeah. ever since then.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about the cover briefly yeah even the cover to me is it's very simple it's just basically a dead bird yeah <laughs> um, I can't really tell what kind of bird it is is the it, it crow crow yeah it looks like a crow maybe yeah. I think crow is a very like a symbolic
1: um, bird or creature yeah in
0: music. yeah it, it's so simple but it's so it just it fits so well yeah. I think there's one thing with the
1: the with the cover that the very first pressing that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cover is purple, the very first pressing especially, right. but their logo was also so like purple that it really got actually yeah. um, it wasn't very visible. So Avantgarde actually released an another version of the cover which has a black and white logo of um of the logo of Catonia and then much later, when they um, remast, when they mastered and they re-released it in 2006, um, there was this gray um, cover um, for their. Oh, for right. the vinyl. That's the vinyl that I have uh, of this album. It has a gray
0: cover, but uh, yeah, the the purple one is very yeah very unique. When I'm looking at the re-release here, and it's it's like a negative image, so it's it's black, and it's got like a negative image of the crow. But it, and this is—is is this the last record where they used the old logo um, with the pentagram in it? They used yeah, it on I Sounds of Decay. On the Decay.
1: ones, uh, they had their second logo, right?
0: So on the Sound of Decay, they also had this old logo. Yeah. So I think those two were like the last yeah. pieces with the with the old logo, which is a great logo. It is. It's my,
1: my favorite. Yeah,
0: I can see why they wanted to get away from like the pentagram and stuff, but uh, and. That logo wouldn't necessarily feel appropriate for discouraged ones. Yeah. Um, so I can see why they made that choice, but it is a it is a fantastic, uh, fantastic logo. Um, I also want to, since the record's over and it's time to wrap up and head mm-hmm. off to Seattle, I do want to mention that the title "Brave Murder Day" is one of my favorite album titles as well. So the one thing about that also title mm-hmm. is
1: the album wasn't originally supposed to be called. Brave Murder Day. What was it called? I want to say where uh, i it, it was where hearses go. Where hearses go. Interesting. Yeah, where hearses Verhears- go with three dot okay. after go. I'm glad they changed uh, it. That that was the that was the original idea for the title. Mm-hmm. But then they have th- the first three th- uh, three songs: Brave and Murder and Day. And then these three titles make the title of the yeah, album. again I love that. Su- Such a
0: such a unique. Yeah. I love that. And I like how it's just three separate words, obviously, but they really evoke a certain image and a certain feeling. Absolutely. And actually when we were trying to come up, come up with a name for Karada, Don and I were thinking about brave murder day and we really like how like separate entities, but together they form a very evocative image. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite, favorite titles. Um, so you can, it's kind of, at least it's been kind of hard for me to find the original of this, yeah. but the repress is pretty easy to find. And that comes with the Sounds of Decay EP, which is well worth it as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I tried really hard to find a good price for, and also good, yeah. good men's quality for right. the very original press, but well, they I they had a very fortunate yet.
0: They had an EM in downtown Portland. Um, I'm not sure if it's still there or not, but it was like 40 bucks down there for the original. Was the original? Yeah. Which isn't too bad, but I don't know. It's kind of worth it for the Sons of Decay to get the reissue, too. Yeah. Because Sons of Decay is great. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, let's pack up our shit and head to Seattle. Yeah. What do you say? uh,
1: Thank you for having me again. All right. It's been a pleasure um, to be a a part of your podcast. I've been a fan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, and I hope that... Uh, this conversation could at least make some people go back again to either yeah. lessons this album again or, or just check it discover for the first the time, checking, checking out this album. It's, yeah. it's great. It's a masterpiece. And uh, if I want to introduce Caratonia to somebody that was never heard of this band before, I would absolutely start with under there. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, Romain. Yeah, cheers.